Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removing his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let every man, nor, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw, that they, saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented from disaster that he had said he would, would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to, to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I, had yet, when I was yet in my country? This is, what I, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a God, gracious, a God, gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there and sat under its shade till he should see what would become of the city. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. After reading chapter 3, the author of Jonah leads us to believe that we're going to expect a fairy tale ending. Jonah has just preached a preacher's dream. He was given the words to say, and he converted over 100,000 people. I'd be safe to bet I couldn't get 100 words from you of what I said last week from what I said. And what the narrator of this passage leads us to believe is that Jonah should react with great joy. But what we experience and what we hear in Jonah chapter 4 is actually everything but. And we realize just how true to real life the book of Jonah really is. Because Jonah leaves us disappointed just like lots of people leave us disappointed. After seeing the mighty works of God, after hearing the great word that he proclaims to his people, we see Jonah in the depths of his heart truly revealed. And what we find in Jonah chapter 4 is truer than anything we might see on reality TV. 
and this should shock us. As good readers of this text, we've seen this story play out. We've seen who God is by what God does. God has called Jonah, and Jonah fled. God pursued Jonah by his grace, and Jonah repented. God gave Jonah a second choice, a second chance. And Jonah, standing as a messenger of God, proclaimed that word. And God's will was done on earth as it was in heaven. Jonah had experienced the same grace. He had lived out the exact message that he took to Nineveh. Turn from your evil ways or you will be overthrown. And yet we find out about Jonah's heart is that he actually didn't want this to happen. Instead, the, the, the author reveals the heart of Jonah. That this reaction of this great city actually displeased Jonah exceedingly. And it caused him to be angry. Jonah became angry with the God who sent, them, sent him with the same thing that he had received. If you have a Bible in front of you, you can see in the, the footnote, if you have an ESV foot Bible, there's a footnote. And it says this word exceedingly. It says it means exceedingly evil to Jonah. And this is a play on words because the same word is used twice in verse 10 of chapter 3. It, the Ninevites turn from their evil. The Lord turns from bringing on them disaster. It's the same Hebrew word. And the reader would hope that Jonah would receive the Lord's mercy and grace, would turn from his own evil, as he did in chapter 3. And yet, Jonah actually thinks God has done evil. And there's two things I want us to see this morning. I want us to see the root of Jonah's anger. Why was he so mad at God? Now, I also want us to see the root of God's grace. Why is God the way that he is? Because if we want to know about Jonah's anger, we don't have to look very far. Just yesterday, I became angry. And the cause of my anger was pettiness. And as I was sitting there fuming, I had to think about the very message I was going to preach today. And I had to ask myself the very question that God asked Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? Because in Jonah 4, it becomes evident that Jonah's anger is rooted in the sheer fact that God might have grace and love for somebody he hates. He believed in a God of second chances as long as that God of second chances didn't offer anyone else a second chance. And that caused him to be angry. And 
Jonah attributed to this God who is gracious and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love for thousands. Instead of attributing to him the character that he had continually seen, in essence, he calls what God has done as evil. Hinting that he believes that God is evil. Instead of sitting and reveling and rejoicing in the fact that God has just relented from destroying an entire city, he's dumbfounded. Because God is acting according to his nature. And Jonah is caught up in his own loathing. He's so caught up in himself that he can no longer see anybody else for who they really are. Not even God. But I actually think it goes even deeper. Jonah wasn't just mad that Nineveh received grace. He was actually mad at God for being who he was. And what I want us to ask ourselves this morning, are we more like Jonah than we care to admit? And what we need to see and what we need to admit is that sometimes our anger actually reveals our sin. And so I ask you, what causes you to become angry? What causes you to lose all patience? When do you find yourself losing your cool? When your emotions are come up so strongly that it actually changes your physical behavior? What's sitting behind that anger? Usually the answer to that is something that we don't want to admit. Do you become angry because your spouse spends money a certain way? Do you become angry because your children don't act the way that they think that they should act? Do you become angry when you didn't get that foul called for your team? Do you become angry because your friends don't include you? Almost all of these things lead to an anger that reveals so much about our hearts that if the world was the, the way that we would create it, if the world was the way that it should be, if I was God, things would be different. And I have to confess to you, this list was very easy to make because this list describes my last 24 hours. And at the center of my anger, it's simple. I want to be the one who makes all the decisions for all people. I want to be the one choosing what happens in every situation. And what this anger reveals is that I want the world to be about me and serving me and being centered everything around me. And when it doesn't happen, I become angry. 
I act like God owes me something. Somehow God should owe me a spouse that should spend money exactly how I should spend money. I act like God owes me children that will never interrupt anything that I'm doing and will put their entire lives around me. I act like God owes me referees who should be perfect. I act like God owes me friends who love me unconditionally but yet expect nothing in return. And at the center of this phantom world that I've created is a God who looks nothing like the God of the Bible. But at the center of this phantom world is a God that looks a whole lot like me. This is what has happened to Jonah. Jonah realizes that God, Jonah realizes he is not God and God is not like him. He's angry because God didn't act the way that he would have acted. And what we should be thankful for is that we don't have a God that looks just like us. Because this is ultimately what we all want. We want to be God. We want to show grace to the people we want to show grace to. And we want to show judgment to those who we don't like. At the root of Jonah's anger. At the root of Jonah's anger. See, this doesn't like God for being who he is. And I have to ask you, does that make you angry? Because if it does, we're a lot more like Jonah than we like to admit. Because this is what Jonah said in verse 2. Oh, Lord, is it not what I said when I was still in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God. God, I didn't want people to find out who you're really like. I wanted to keep you all for myself. And if you've been at Christ Presbyterian Church more than once, you should, you should hear this passage that Jonah's alluding to. He's alluding to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. One of the most precious truths about who the Lord is and what he has done for his people. Because, in fact, if you know the story behind Exodus 34, you know that it's one of the darkest moments of Israel's history. Right after God redeems them out of Egypt right after God established his law and makes a covenant with them, right after the people promise to obey the Lord's command and do all that he has given them, what do we see in Exodus 32? Israel builds a golden calf and worships it. They couldn't even get the words out of their mouth that they would follow the covenant before they turn in idolatry and worship a golden calf. 
And what does the Lord do? In Exodus 32, verse 12, he relents from the disaster. He forgave his sinful people. And he immediately renews the covenant with them. The one that they had just broken. Israel experienced God full of grace and mercy. A God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah is furious that God would show the same mercy to Nineveh. Because somehow Jonah thinks he deserves it. And those other people don't. And so this is, this is Jonah's conclusion. Let me die. Because I can't live in a world with a God that looks like you. I want a God that looks like me. Just let me die. Please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live in a world run by a gracious and merciful God. Jonah would rather die than live in a world with this type of God. Jonah would rather die than to make available the same grace that he experienced in Jonah 2 and what Israel experienced in Exodus 34. He would rather die than to make that grace available for sinners who need God's grace. Jonah is the older brother and the prodigal son. The father has just received his estranged son back and has begun to celebrate. And the older brother doesn't join the festivities. He goes off and he pouts. He draws the father away from the party because of his self-centeredness. He thinks it's all about him. He thinks the father should act just as he acts. And this is what Jesus is teaching in the prodigal son. He's revealing to the Jews, to the Pharisees and the tax collectors in which he's speaking to, that this is their stance as Israel. That God has given them the covenants. It was Israel that God saved in the Old Testament who should believe in a God who does this. But Israel has forgotten that the grace that Jesus is offering to the Gentiles is the same grace that was offered to them. Jonah has forgotten who he was. Jonah has forgotten the grace that he received even though he didn't deserve it. Have we forgotten who we are? Do we hold so tightly to the grace of God that we are unwilling to share it with other people? God had called the people of Israel to do what? To be a kingdom of priests, to represent the nations before God, to mediate God's redemptive purpose to the world. A priest stands between God and the people, representing one to the other. Yahweh had summoned Israel and the entire nation to act like a priest, 
mediating God's presence to the entire globe to witness to the love and compassion and grace and mercy that God has for the nations so they might turn to him. Jonah had forgotten who he was. He had forgotten what he had been called to do. He had not mediated God's compassion. He had not mediated God's mercy. He had regarded them as objects of pure wrath and condemnation. Thank God he's not like us. And you have to ask yourself, does it cause you to become angry that God's grace might go to someone who you don't like? Does it cause you to become angry that God cares for the nations? Do you truly believe that God cares for the nations? That he cares for Muslim nations and Hindu nations and Buddhist nations and China and Afghanistan and Turkey and Syria. He cares about those who think dif differently about politics. He cares for people who don't look like you, who don't smell like you, who don't eat like you do. He loves people of other denominations. He loves people that we have stored up nothing but hatred and wrath for. And we must hear this same question. Do you do well to be angry? And what Jonah does is Jonah points us to a true and better Israel. Jonah points us to one who is not like Israel, but he points us to Jesus. For Jesus perfectly did the will of the Father. He was not angry to proclaim the excellencies of the Father. Jesus came and preached the same sermon that Jonah came to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Turn away from your sins and believe in the gospel. Instead of becoming angry with God, that he would show mercy and grace to the nations, God took his wrath upon himself so that we can experience that grace and that mercy. Instead of becoming indignant over an unrepentant people, what did Jesus do? He wept over Jerusalem. Instead of hating his neighbor, Jesus gave himself for us. Do you do well to be angry? What causes you to be angry? Repent of your anger. Repent and believe in the gospel. That the same grace and mercy that saves you saves sinners. Because that's what we need 
and that's who God loves. Repent and believe in the gospel. Because this is what Peter says of the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have been called to mediate the grace and the mercy of God, not withhold it. We've been called to mediate the love of God for the nations, not to hate it. We've been called to reflect the majesty, the glory of our Father. And if we are not doing that, we are called to repent. This is also an invitation to all adults and to all children to understand that you have been called to take this message to the nations. You have been called to mediate the grace and the mercy of God so that the nations might draw near to him and worship him as the one true God over all creation. We have been called to be a people who repent. We've been called to be a people who point others to where we have found life. We've been called to point people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uproot our anger. Father, uproot our hatred and our disdain. Father, cast down your love for us in Christ that we might love others as you have loved us. We ask this in his name. Amen. If you'll now stand and turn in your Trinity hymnals to page 846, 845, as we confess the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God. Maybe seated.
For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, and after he had given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted this supper as a means of grace for his people. It is a sign, it's a covenant sign that all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is his body. This is his blood. We believe that the bread truly remains bread and the wine truly remains wine, yet the sacred elements are so united to the reality they represent, we believe that we feast on Christ by faith. This meal is an eschatological meal. It's a foretaste of the wedding feast to come. When Jesus will return and gather all of his people under his reign and he will bless them because they will be in his presence and he will recreate the heavens and the earth. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is the Lord's table. If you have been baptized and believe in the gospel, this table is for you. Yet Paul warns us not to drink and eat in an unworthy manner. If you do not believe in the gospel, if you do not believe that your sins need forgiving, if you believe that you do not need to repent, this table is not for you. But I ask that you participate. I ask that you ask Jesus to reveal your sin so that he might soften your hearts and that the Spirit might baptize you, giving you new life. The benefits of this meal do not depend on how you feel this morning. They depend upon the person, the work of Jesus. And at this table, we celebrate Jesus is alive. Let us pray before we come to this table. Lord, we are not to be guests at your holy table, yet you have heard the sweet words of your invitation. And you have promised us forgiveness of sins through the body and blood which we eat and drink in this sacrament by faith. O oh Lord, we know that your divine word and promise are true. We do not doubt them. And resting on them, we eat and drink with you. Let it be to us according to your word. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come.
Is there anyone who has not been served who would like to be served? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <laughs> 